At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to rain of troy radio episode 382 coming to you on friday september 25th we are going to talk about the return of pac-12 football officially the trojans set to kick off at the beginning of november yes for real for real this time it's going to happen we're going to talk about it Break down our reaction, answer your questions, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Omni. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, suck at what's Burn show. From the Reign of Troy studio here in Los Angeles, I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Elisa Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. It is for real this time. We talked about it last week. It looked like everything was coming together. Uh, last week at this point, the Big Ten had announced the Pac-12 layer was on the verge. Uh, and then it took about a week to get all the T's crossed, I's dotted. Uh, it was an eventful week, but it finally comes together. There will be Pac-12 football kicking off on November 6th, which is a Friday. Probably going to be one Friday night game, I would assume, uh, leading into a Saturday of Pac-12 football. It's pretty crazy, right? You know, uh, this time last week, I think that uh, we were much more uncertain. It, it It looked like it might be heading that way, but... There was a lot of questions that I had. Can, can I push back on that, though? Because I was certain uh, last week, I, I thought that everything was certain that everything was going to happen. Uh, and then I was completely convinced there was going to be football until about three days ago. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Whoa. Wednesday, that's when it started to look gloom and doom again. And then Thursday, we wake up and Boulder has barred yeah. uh, college-aged kids from gathering in any, right. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. 
Yeah. No, I, I guess maybe this time last week we did know, but certainly last Tuesday, uh, it was before USC's players put out their message when the Big Tw- Big Ten was going to come back, but we were still sitting there going, well, but if, if California won't let anybody practice, then there's nothing they can do about it. And so things have moved rather quickly to get to a point where now we know what date USC will be playing a football game, or at least what weekend USC will be playing a football game uh, in, in, in November, in, in this fall. So things have come together. Um, could they have come together better, quick, more quickly? Uh, sure, they, they definitely could have. But at least now we know what to prepare for. At least now we have an idea of what, you know, the next couple months of our lives hold because it it, it certainly was less clear <laughs> for, for a long time there. Yeah, and here we are with the answer. And football means more content here from Rainer Troy Radio. We can't wait. I think the number one reason we wanted football back was so we could talk about things like football again. No kidding. Uh, I, I am so excited to be able to just talk about football and, and you know, the, to break the fourth wall here. It's been a struggle coming up with content. Um, I, I feel like it's not been our forte to come up with 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 content this well, off season, we we struggled to come up with content. Uh, my job changed a little bit, so I wasn't able to devote as much time to the podcast either. And basically, it was like, well, I guess we're going to do this every other week then, because you you do run out of things to talk about, you do run out of things to say, and no one wants to listen to the same thing over and over again. And unfortunately, uh, you and I didn't have the time to come up with something random or unique or new to fill in those gaps so uh our job definitely gets easier knowing that we don't have to scrape so far down the barrel to come up with things to talk about we have things to talk about now we actually have real life football that we can point to coming up in in six weeks or so yeah and that means more content for you guys over at patreon as well uh, October is going to be a month full of bonus content. Uh, it's going to be our traditional 10-part position-by-position preview month. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, starting with uh, the... I don't know where we're going to start. we got to figure out where we're going to start. Whether it's going to be the cornerbacks, the linebackers, the running backs, I don't know. Uh, head over to Patreon and find out. Uh, but we're going to go through each one. Uh, if, if you're new to this, what usually happens, we talk about each... Um, unit, break it down, what's going on, what we expect to happen, uh, which is going to be full of interesting conversations because we didn't see spring camp. Uh, and there's so many question marks and so many different things to discuss. Uh, and each one goes about 20 minutes to a half hour. Talking about each unit over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Look for that as we turn the month to October when practice really uh, starts to begin for the Trojans. Yeah, and the best thing about those previews is they're really a primer uh, on uh, to, to get you back up to date with the roster. Uh, what does the roster look like? What does the depth chart look like? Who are the names you need to know? Uh, and, and all of those kinds of things. After the longest offseason ever, uh, that is probably going to be really necessary for you and I and also the listeners to get back fully immersed in who is on this team, what do we expect from them? Especially the freshmen. No kidding. You know, we, we talk we about this team glossed over every an week. entire offseason of, who are these new freshmen? Yeah, we, we've talked about this team uh, every week or so 
for the last several years, and I don't think there's been a freshman class that I know less about than this group of freshmen, and it's just because we didn't see them in the spring, um, and it's it, it seems like uh, they were a hot commodity during the recruiting season, uh, and then COVID hit, and then never got to be able to see them practice, and then suddenly uh, the next year's class becomes the hot commodity as recruits. Uh, I want this, the spotlight to be back on them again, uh, to, to, to hear about Gary Bryant and see what he can do, uh, which we'll discuss Gary Bryant in the wide receiver's uh, primer. So look for that over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five per month. You also get ad-free main show episodes, uh, which are pretty clutch as well. If you just want the main, main show's uh, ad-free and you don't want any bonus content, you can join for three thirty three a month. If you want everything, you want the bonus content, you want the ad-free shows, and you want to talk to us all the time over on Slack in our growing community with the Rot Crew, for 10 bucks you can join and get access there as well. But uh, that's going to be enough for our, our little Patreon pitch. Let's get into the news and, uh, and talk about all the things that have gone down in the last day or so. We knew that the Pac-12 was going to have their meetings on Thursday, and we knew that this was going to be the day where the decision was going to come down, essentially. Uh, we wake up and we find out about Colorado and uh, them having a two-week lockdown that could affect, uh, well, really the city of Boulder and how that affects CU um, and their practices Things not looking good in that sense. Which is to say Colorado cannot practice for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Uh, things not looking good there, but everything seemed to be optimistic. Besides that, John Wilner of the Mercury News uh, continued to say that, that things were progressing towards uh, the Pac-12 plane. They met at 3 o'clock. Uh, that meeting ended, and not too long after that, John Wilner tweets that the Pac-12 has voted to return to play. Uh, a few minutes after that, Pac-12 puts out a press release um, that announces a resumption of football, basketball, and winter sports seasons. The Pac-12 CEO group announced today that based upon the updated Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee recommendations that take into account material changes to testing capabilities, the prevalence of COVID-19 and cardiac issues, along with the updated state and local health official guidance, the conference will resume its football, basketball, and winter sport seasons. The football season may now commence for those teams that have the necessary state and local health approvals on November 6th, and men's and women's basketball on November 25th, consistent with the NCAA's official start dates for those sports and the other winter sports consistent with the NCAA season dates for those sports. That was a mouthful. Yeah, uh, all of that is to say football's coming back and so is basketball. Yeah, and the other winter sports. And the other winter sports. I mean, to to, to a degree. Uh, we'll see how many of those actually go forward and what those seasons will look like. But obviously the revenue sports are the ones that, that catch the eye. And this is a, a big step for the Pac-12 to go ahead and get football back by, by November 6th and then 
the NCAA start date on November 25th, meaning that the Pac-12 basketball won't be hindered in terms of their return. They'll be able to go on the same schedule as everybody else, which is a big deal on the basketball side of things. Uh, but obviously our focus right now is that that football uh, plan, that football date that uh, is coming up quick now. Yeah, November 6th, uh, we got a tweet or a Slack message from David Ernst County. Can I do it now? Can I actually let my heart believe that USC football will happen in 2020? Yes. Yes, you can. I I think so. On Wednesday, USC got the testing machines from Quidel, and that is a a big step. They're in the process of doing the learning process of, of how to run those machines, and Basically, what the Pac-12 is banking on is those new antigen testing machines that they can do a daily test. They can do, Mike Bone said this in the the press conference uh, on Thursday evening, that they can do 30 to 50 tests in an hour uh, with those. So it's uh, it's going to ramp up the ability for, for USC to do testing. And what their hope is, is that that will limit the impact of contact tracing, which is the main reason why so many games have been canceled in other conferences so far it will limit that sort of spread and so they won't have to postpone games they won't have to worry about uh, outbreaks on any teams so if things go to plan yes absolutely usc will be playing football this fall and uh, it is absolutely real yes indeedy uh, as long as everything uh, still goes forward and as long as the the antigen tests uh, can produce a result uh, as intended, uh, which is to limit the spread and the contact tracing and all that kind of stuff, uh, which we're super hopeful for. I, I mean, this is still a global pandemic. This is still, uh, you know, there's, this is not going to be easy by any means. Well, flu season is coming. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to get easier. And you know the the you know the thing about the flu. I'm 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 I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's not going to be easy, but uh, this is why you go with the testing like uh, like the Pac-12 has, and this is why you only come back if you have science to back it up, and if you have some sort of ability to try to make it safer for your players. And I do give the Pac-12 credit for that. Um, like I, I've said before, I put this on Twitter. Th- this whole thing is tough because, in a lot of ways, still. I don't know that we should be playing football, but the Pac-12 at least is going to do it in a way that's going to be safer, uh, at least hopefully, uh, than these other conferences and whatnot, which is exactly what you want to see out of the Pac-12. We'll talk about the plan. We got a tweet from Raider Rob when's the first game. Uh, November 6th or 7th. It's going to be interesting. The Pac-12, the first game of the Pac-12 season historically has been a USC game. If that happens again, it will be a Friday because November 6th is a Friday night. Well, I mean, if I were the Pac-12 and I had to decide what the first game of my 2020 season was going to be, I would absolutely try to rig it so that USC would be that marquee game on that Friday. Either USC or Oregon, that's my goal if I'm the Pac-12, if I'm the Pac-12 schedule makers. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. We will see. Uh, look for the schedule out next week. Uh, Larry Scott said that they're still finalizing things on that end. If they were, like, I know that, that you can't necessarily speed up things that can't be sped up, but they really, really, really could or should try to push to do what the Big Ten did 
and have a schedule reveal on Saturday during big noon kickoff or on ES on college game day or something like that. If they can make that happen, that is number one priority as far as the next couple of days, but it's the PAC 12. So I'm not, not necessarily expecting that decision to come out, uh, Within the next two days. Yeah, it'll come out next Friday at about uh, yeah. 4.45 p.m. <laughs> you know it. Pacific time. Yeah, that, that's when I would probably expect things. Uh, it's going to be a six-game regular season. Five divisional games, one crossover game, which is going to be interesting because we don't know how that crossover game is going to be determined. Um, the way that the Pac-12 has done it uh, of late, the Pac-12 plays nine games, so you get five games within your division, four that are crossovers, uh, and then we know that USC has two protected rivals, Stanford and Cal, and then they play the other two on an on-off rotation, which would be uh, the Oregon schools and the Washington schools. Uh, usually SC plays uh, the states one year and the other, the other schools uh, the other year uh, on, on and off uh, duplicated there. But um, the it, it's going to be interesting to see what that crossover game is because if it's that crossover game is Oregon State. Um, that's a completely different story Is than if that crossover game is Oregon. Uh, that completely changes what USC schedule is like. Uh, we've talked about it before. SC will be probably favored. Um, should be favored uh, on paper as it, as it stands now in every game in the Pac-12 South. Um, and pretty much against anybody in this conference would save for potentially Oregon. If they no longer face Oregon, that could be huge for SC's chances going forward. We're going to talk about that more later, so I don't want to get completely into that. Um, but conference title game coming up December 16th, uh, sorry, December 18th, which again is a Friday night, um, and then followed by Saturday, December 19th, uh, in which every team is going to play a seventh game. Uh, I would expect this to look like what the Big Ten is doing, and we've talked about this before. Uh, that we had floated this idea on the the podcast where South number three plays South uh, North number three, uh, South team number two plays North team number two, uh, and you add an extra game that way. It makes it sort of like an in-conference bowl game. Yeah, with the tie-in between the divisions, it's an extra opportunity for everyone to play. Normally, you don't care that teams aren't playing on that final championship weekend because they've already played their full regular season slate. And they're just now waiting to see if they uh, what what bowl they'll end up getting, but now losing one of those games could impact potential bowl not not eligibility because they've taken away eligibility as a as a concept for the bowls this year. Anybody can get a bowl bid, but that extra game could impact where you go in that bowl game. It could impact revenue stream because now you're having an extra game being te- televised, and when you only have six or seven games that seventh game actually really does matter as far as the the television rights go so it makes sense that that game is going to decide tiebreakers for the bowls yeah uh because the way the bowl system works right now there's going to be no we're we're going to get into talking about bowls later so i don't want to get completely into this yet but if there's a tie between who the third best record is well if those two teams are playing Right there, there's your there's your answer of who's the third uh, best team potentially. So that might be very fascinating to see how the bowls get get played into that. Uh, also, like you said, gives gives one more game uh, to be played. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, if anyone ends up playing a, a duplicate game. 
if if uh, the well, that's the problem. That's the most intri- intriguing thing about the cross divisional game and now the conference title game is that you you could have a situation where you have uh, re- uh, rematches that are really right. intriguing. Certainly at the top of the conference, if USC ends up getting Oregon in the regular season and then USC and Oregon face each other in the Pac-12 title game, is that better or worse for both of those teams? There were some debates going on on Twitter about that, and I think it's it's quite interesting to go back and forth on, well, what schedule actually does benefit the teams that are vying for a very, very slim hope of the playoff. But we'll right. talk about the playoff later, too. So Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the playoffs uh, later in this episode. Uh, last thing here, uh, practice can begin as soon as local approval is achieved, uh, which means if you have local approval right now, you can essentially start practicing. I thought it was interesting in the Mike Bone uh, Zoom call that, that we had on uh, on Thursday night, uh, Ryan Abraham of USDFootball.com asked the question, can you do something right now? Like, if you could practice tomorrow... Could you? And Mike Bone still said the answer was no. Um, that that you still are limited to the uh, essentially the, the cohorts rule, where you can only have a group of up to twelve, uh, and th- that group uh, stays the same and stays in contact. Um, and you can you can work out inside with distancing and all that stuff. That has changed, but you cannot have a team practice as of right this minute. Uh, USC cannot, but they expect that, that all will be cleared uh, by early October. Uh, so early October, I mean, that's that's a week away. So who knows, is early October October 1st, or is early October October 8th? I don't know. Well, what USC needs it to be is, is October 8th, I think, because the six-week ramp up to the season, which the, the Pac-12 was built in here for the, the November 6th start, is intended to be two weeks of ramp up into four weeks of training camp. So really, for for USC, they can do the ramp up without being full team go. What they need is by that four week mark for practices to be uh, allowed to happen with with large gatherings of players. But I do think it's interesting. You know, we had conversations last week about you know who came out looking worse on that Wednesday, the the Pac twelve or or Gavin Newsom and and the California state health officials and all of that. And I think this just reaffirms like everything that California was saying last Wednesday was they were fudging a lot of things. They were fudging the kind of thing where you can practice. We didn't say you couldn't practice. Well, you said we can't have more than 12 players gathered at a time. Well, yeah, but you can still practice with those. Like it, it was all semantics. So clearly we're still at a stage where the, the state of California is, Having to go, th- you know, USC, UCLA, all of these teams are going to have to continue to jump through hoops to get to, to get approval. But I think that was always just a question of timing. And so by the time you get to the point where you need to start training camp four weeks ahead of that, that November 6th date, then I I would be very, very shocked if USC didn't have uh, the approvals to, to go ahead you know, if you're, if for instance, like if you're Colorado and you have a two week layoff where you can't hold gatherings or practices, like you're still looking at that four week training camp setup that that is the really important bit. You know, this feels like this feels like you have been told by your parents that you can go to McDonald's as a kid. 
get dressed and, and we'll go. And you're dressed and you're just waiting in the living room for them, for your parents to come out with the keys. Yeah. Like, you know you're going to McDonald's. Everyone knows. Everyone's yeah. agreed. Everyone's fine with it. Uh, you're just waiting for the actual, like, okay, I've got the keys. Let's get in the car now moment, right? Yeah. That's where uh, that's where I see SC because, you know, everything John Wilner has put out there, everything that has been reported from ever, anywhere else, uh, it doesn't look like this is going to be an issue going forward. Uh, everyone sort of agrees with that. It's just a matter of it actually happening. So uh, I wouldn't sweat about this at all, um, at least for the time being. Um, anyways, uh, that covers what's going down with the conference on the return to play. Yes, USC. Uh, and the rest of the Pac-12 is going to play a 2020 football season. Again, it's six regular season games, a seventh extra game. Uh, all wrapping up just in in line with the other conferences for a potential, I guess, potential shot uh, if somebody goes 7-0 for a trip to the college football playoff. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about that more uh, in our next segment where we go to uh, five burning questions. That's what you have written down here. I, I, I dig it, except it's going to be 15. We're talking about your burning <laughs> questions, my burning questions, and questions from our listeners up next. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's get right into it. Let's talk about your questions. Your, your five big questions. I said burning questions. There are five big questions. Big burning questions. It works. It's, it's yeah. if fitting with the big burning fires that are uh, maybe, all over maybe the state of California. Maybe we shouldn't be saying that. Maybe. Well, the, the Bob Piat fire is now more than 50% contained. So the one that's uh, messing with the air quality down near us in Southern California is, uh, they're, they're, they're doing work on that thing. Getting go, getting going. That's good. Big up to the firefighters. Love the firefighters and all the fire crews and yep. all the people doing work to, to prevent those from being worse than they than they currently are. But to get to the football, because now we can actually talk about the football, Michael. Here are my five big burning questions for the 2020 season as we go forward. Number one is, how fit will USC be? And by that I mean, with the, the layoff since March, what was it, March 12th, March 13th? Something like that, yeah. They haven't really been able to do full-blown workouts. They've been able to do modified workouts. They've been able to work out at home. All of the things that they've that they've done uh, to cope with the corona, coronavirus pandemic. What we've seen so far from other conferences that have played is that your conditioning, your preparation, all of those kinds of things matters quite a lot. Yep. Uh, BYU smacked around Navy in part because BYU was basically holding their practices as though there were no pandemic in the first place. And Navy was extremely prohibited. Navy didn't do any tackling at all in their preseason. Which, by the way, Mike Bone pointed out, Ken, not Lolo's, I hope I said that right, um, comments uh, after that BYU game, they lose, what was it, 55 to 3? Yeah. He comes out and says that, you know, this is on him, their, their preparation, they weren't able to tackle and... They, they shouldn't have expected to win if they weren't going to tackle and all these kind of things. Mike Bone, in his press conference on Thursday night, mentioned that, uh, that he doesn't expect SC to be in a situation like that because they will have time. 
Um, I also thought it was interesting that he was pointing out the tackling and he made it sound like we're going to have time. We're going to be able to tackle and all these things when that's always a burning question around USC. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, as a whole anyway. Yeah. So the degree of USC's, well, and that was one of the things we didn't get answered in spring camp, right? USC's defensive coaches, the new defensive staff was talking up the physicality of practice. Right. Todd Orlando, all of them were talking up the idea of being physical and tackling in practice. We never got to see that follow through. So will USC be able to do that coming back this year? How cautious will they play it? How aggressive will they play it as far as the practicing goes? And what where are the players at at this point? We know that they have been practicing since the announcement on August 11th was when the Pac-12 announced that they were shutting down the season. The next day, USC's players were on the practice field practicing. So they have been working out in their little cohorts for the better part of, of, of two months. How much will that help them as far as fitness goes? Is that enough? Is that, have they taken it seriously enough? Uh, we know they've been doing it, but how seriously were they taking it? Is it the team collectively buying in on all of these things? Or was it just a couple of players that we got to see videos of or pictures of, that kind of thing? So those questions will be answered when the season comes. But those are, that that's one of the defining defining uh, things that we will see when the season comes, how well did you prepare? Because the the teams that are going to have an edge here are going to be the ones that handled the changes better, that had their players stay bought in during this whole time. Uh, none of those things are easy, but those are the things that will differentiate one team from another, I think. Yeah, preparation is going to be all of it. Some teams are going to be handle this thing better than others, uh, from the little bit, uh, and I really have not watched much college football, but of the little bit that I've seen, and my understanding is that there has not been a lot of good college football played thus far, right? And it looks like there's been a lot of blowouts. You see Clemson just murdering teams. Uh, we, we've seen a bunch of cancellations. We've seen a bunch of stops and starts and all this kind of stuff. All of that plays into a team's rhythm and the preparation which makes preparation all that more important. Mm -hmm. So if you can just be more prepared, you're going to have such a leg up on everybody. And that's a problem for USC in the sense of what's always been the critique about this team, their lack of preparedness. Yeah. <laughs> so like um, if they're not prepared, that's a huge red flag. Will, I, it, will I, it not? It will not be a surprise. Yeah. And now I think the offense is in good hands. I think the offense will be rather prepared um but it's not just about the offense it's about except, the, the team collectively except I'll, I'll throw this out here graham harrell's entire practice philosophy is to do everything a thousand million times right they won't have had the opportunity this offseason to do the thousand but million ne but reps. no team will nobody yes yes right. but then this is where it'll it'll differentiate but right. uh speaking of getting getting ready uh for me the second big question is todd orlando does he have enough time to get the defense ready and, and install yeah, what's this that learning curve going to be like? In theory, in theory, he has had longer than any defensive coordinator has ever had to install their scheme. But all of that is in theory, the theory of it. Mental the players, reps, yeah. it's all been mental reps. So how quickly will USC's defenders be able to have their brains catch up with their bodies? And again, this goes back to the same thing that I was asking in, in my previous big question is, how seriously did they take that study? How seriously were they in the playbook? How uh, well did USC's coaches do it explaining the concepts? All of these things are going to contribute to how well 
uh, these things come forward. But this will be a big differentiator as well. Yeah, I think the season comes down to to this for for me. I think we, we've talked about it before. If, if the defense is just the same as last year, uh, then I think SC can you know still win the division or whatnot. But if the the season if the defense is improved and markedly improved, then the sky's the limit for this team because knowing what we know about the offense and how we can, I think we can safely assume the offense should not be worse than last year. It should mm-hmm. at least be the same, but we. Surely would probably expect the offense to take at least a half step forward, if not one or two steps forward. So it, it, it all comes down to what that learning curve is like for Todd Orlando, because if if it's not a big ordeal uh, and the defense can gel early like they did uh, under Orlando at Texas in 2017, this is good news for SC. But this is just such a weird situation. And thankfully... Um, it's not just SC that has to deal with this. Like we said before, uh, every school is dealing with this issue. Um, n- not every school is, has a new uh, coordinator, but every school has not been able to uh, install their defense, even if it's the same defense. They haven't been able to, to do that either with new players. So it, it's going to be fascinating. The Trojans are going to have to get onto it on, on, on defense. What's, what's number three for you? Yeah, number three is all about Drake Jackson. So he is going to be even more of an important player for USC now that Jay Tufele has uh, declared for the NFL draft. And my question still remains, where is he going to line up? Uh, he's listed as a defensive end outside linebacker on the roster. On the roster, he's listed at 255 pounds, which would lead me to believe that, that the outside linebacker spot is more likely. But then again, USC on social media is referring to him as a 275 pounder. So that would lead me to believe that he's more likely to be the defensive end. Which is it? In a three-man front, are they going to put him in there and have him bulk up and be big and be another Rasheem Green-like figure? Or are they going to ha- want him to be slimmed down and be a- an outside linebacker in the- in this defense where he's a little bit more of a hybrid, do-everything kind of guy and using his athleticism to uh, to be a-, a-, a pass rusher off the edge as well as somebody they can rely on to drop back? I don't know, but figuring out the best spot for him, getting the most out of him, will absolutely be part of whether or not the the defense succeeds it's the biggest question i i think uh about this team going into the season especially on defense i mean besides the whole like how how does the defense gel in the in the new defense it, this is the one because we needed the spring to see we, we needed the spring to, to to know um and you know we, we make the, the 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 pitch to listen to our position by position previews uh, and this is where I say that those are going to be really hard to do on defense because what position is he going to play? Right. I don't know. We needed to see that in the spring to kind of know, and we wouldn't have known going into the spring either. So it was always going to be difficult for that, and now it's even more difficult and more of a question. The more I think about it now, the more I think I personally, not being the defensive coordinator or any sort of defensive genius here, I personally think it makes a lot more sense with with Jay Tufele gone to go all in with Drake Jackson as a defensive end, as a defensive lineman, uh, because then you can have a starting three of Tupelo, Tupili, and Drake Jackson. I think I think that works. I think you probably have more linebackers that way to put off the edge as that uh, was it the B backer. Yeah, that, that, the, the B backer. That, that's that's sort of the the rust specialist, if you want to call it yeah. that. Uh, your your Hunter Eccles, your... which probably suits Hunter Eccles 
or Juliana Falanico or one of those Winston, guys. Yeah. yeah, maybe even like here's something I I'm just going to jump straight into my next big question, who's going to start at middle linebacker? I would like I think it would be very very interesting to see if we turned up for the practices that we probably won't get to view, but still if if practice turned out to reveal that Palie Nateote is the the B-backer plan because he he really would fit the mold of somebody who can pass rush, but also has the coverage abilities that you need to to be able to drop in and uh, and and do a more all around hybrid kind of job than just the guy coming off the edge. But will Palaeonateote factor in at middle linebacker? Is Solomon Tuliapupu finally ready to go, or is it just going to be as simple as Jordan ISF is that guy, and we're going to see who gets paired next to him? There are there are literally five or six players on this roster who I can imagine in that middle linebacker role. Mauga, Mauga, Isefa, uh, uh, Elijah Winston, um, uh, Randall, um, go forth. Randall Goforth, and uh, and and Nateote. So, and I don't know if I mentioned Tuli Pupu. So you know, there's there's a lot of guys in there that I think have. Can have a make can make a run at that, and that'll absolutely define the defense too. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys takes the middle spot, and then you move somebody else out outside. Um, but then again, like like we said, like there's a bunch of guys on the outside too, like Hunter Eccles and Falonico and, and, and all those guys. McLean. Yeah, McLean, another guy that I that I quite like at that role. What are you going to do with Connor Murphy? Connor Murphy, we've seen bounce around from the outside to to the lineman spot two like like we've seen about Drake Jackson so there's a million different questions really on that defense a lot of shuffling in the uh I, I guess in the sense you would call them the front six um what yeah. are they what are they going to to all shake up and end up looking like I think that those are two huge questions uh for the Trojans what's your number five number five which is really number one who is going to start at left tackle uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is off for the NFL. USC doesn't really have a very good option behind him. Uh, there are guys who I think I would feel more comfortable with taking over there at left tackle, but we're talking about the most important position on the offensive line, protecting the most important player on the field for USC, Keaton Slovis. So do you throw Andrew Voorhees in there because you've seen him at tackle before? Do you throw Jalen McKenzie in there because you've seen him briefly at tackle? Um, both of those guys have done better, done more as guards. Right. So that's hard to say. Uh, do you give Jason Rodriguez a chance there at left tackle? Uh, are you willing to take that risk with him at left tackle? Or would you rather have him take over at right tackle and have one of the more veteran guys at left tackle? Are you willing to try out one of the freshmen? Um, that gives me heart palpitations, but <laughs> it's certainly a possibility. There are a lot of things that USC can do with this offensive line, and if, if they don't find somebody to reliably replace Elijah Vera Tucker, then it will be a long, short season. Yeah, I, I've said it before. I think the the simplest answer, uh, the not the simplest, the easiest thing for USC is if they turn up for camp and Jason Rodriguez is just that guy. Like he just takes a big step and he is that guy. That would, that would just solve so many answers. So many questions, right? It, it, it would. It, like I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath because it's a lot of pressure on a, on a young kid that, 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 that we just haven't, who, who we haven't have seen. The experience. Yeah. He, he redshirted last year. It would solve the, the questions like 
bar none. It would absolutely make things a lot easier. Uh, going over to my big questions, first one is, what is the learning curve for that offensive line? Because it's not just about left tackle, it's about everything else. You're going to be asking somebody who's playing tackle on both ends yeah. to do so for the first time. Because yep. Jalen McKenzie only played, only started two games at tackle for USC. Uh, Andrew Voorhees has actually never started a game for t- at tackle for USC. So if one of those guys is your answer or both of those guys is your answer, they still haven't spent that much time at tackle at USC. Uh, Jason Rodriguez hasn't seen any live action yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freshmen obviously speak for themselves that they're freshmen. There's so much that that, uh, that 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 line needs to replace. And we're not even talking about what's going on at guard because the guard situation is going to be completely uh, shaken up as well because you're moving your guards out to tackle. Does, does Dietrich move from center to, to guard? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I put what's the learning curve because these guys are going to have to find uh, chemistry where they might not be able to get that chemistry until late in camp because there's so many questions, which, uh, which will mean a learning curve. And that's scary for question number two, which is, can Keaton Slovis take a leap in year two? What was the biggest problem for him in year one? I think it was um, his protection in, in front of him. And weirdly, the, the best thing, one of the best things about Keaton Slovis was how he managed the pocket. And yet the worst thing about Keaton Slovis <laughs> last year was that he got hit a little too much and he came out of four or five different games uh, and that was that's completely scary for you, and you can't not have that happen again, especially in a small, shortened season that's only going to have seven games, eight games with the bowl game, assuming that you get to a bowl game. Like this is a very difficult situation for the Trojans to be in, and it kind of all comes down to Keaton Slovis. What can he do in year two? Uh, what can he do with more responsibility? We've seen this before, and we've talked about it forever. USC quarterbacks tend to take a step back, at least in the last decade, when they get more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And we saw it with Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley's junior year, incredible. Senior year, Lane Kiffin unloads the entire clip, tells him, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. You're getting all the responsibility. He throws 15 interceptions. Mm-hmm. Cody Kessler, not a good senior season compared to his junior year. Nope. Right? Uh, you look at Sam Darnold. Darnold was better as a as a redshirt freshman. He got more responsibility uh, as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, one of the things that he was told was to stick in the pocket more and, and try to make a play downfield more. That led to more interceptions. That led to more turnovers. Does that happen to Keaton Slovis? I I think the change in offense kind of makes things a little bit different because this is an offense that should be built on 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 rhythm and consistency. And I would say that. Probably not. I don't know that his his um, his abilities or, or his uh, his responsibilities are going to change that much. Uh, and when you look at it, last year he did throw nine picks, albeit six of them came in two games. So like, I don't know. I I, I don't know what to expect. But that's what the question is going to be for Keen Slovis, especially with so much time off. We're talking about eleven months off. Yeah, well, Mason Fine, months, Mason right? Fine got considerably better every year that he played uh, at North Texas under Graham Harrell. So that is a good sign. That's that's something that's, to, that's to what hope. You want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of someone who has room to get better, let's talk about Palier and Ioteote. My third big question: Can he bounce back? You talked about could he potentially move 
to a different linebacker spot. I think that'd be interesting. What can he do in this defense? Can Todd Orlando get the most out of him? Uh, I think if SC ends up being a really good team, it will mean that Paulie Naotete probably became that player that we all expected him to be, right? Uh, in the last, think about it, in the last 12 months, uh, sorry, the last two years, Paulie Naotete went from having that great game against Colorado in which we said that he needs to put on the number 55 to getting benched in the UCLA game for a walk-on fullback hmm. to having a sophomore season to forget Partially, you know, due to injury, by the way, um, he, he, he was injured from, for most of it, but, but even when he did play, like he, he didn't really, um, stand out in Clancy Pendergast last hurrah on, on defense. So if he can take another step forward and bounce back, that'd be huge for the Trojans. Yeah. I guess the hope is none of USC's linebackers looked all that good last year. So you sort of hope that EA was just caught up and wrapped up in in that and, and in a defensive scheme and setup that just didn't work. Who, who would you say SC's best linebacker last year was? Mauga? I was going to say Mauga. Uh, no. Ma- I, uh, you say Mauga? I would say Mauga. Houston had the most tackles, but I, I don't think Houston was... I think Mauga had the, the, the biggest moments, right? I think Mauga looked the most impressive when any linebacker looked impressive. And right. it was too rare, but... I did think that Mauga uh, had had some good games, but but they all had consistency issues for sure. So yes, so maybe SC maybe USC comes in and 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 just having new voices changes uh, the way that they're uh, that they're going forward at the linebacker spot. New coach, new life. Yep. Uh, moving over to offense. My fourth question: How does the offense function with presumably healthy running backs? Um, That's a very, very big uh, presumption there, Michael. No, I, I, when have USC's running backs ever been healthy? No, but I'm talking about, we, we, you know, people love to complain that this team didn't run the football enough, but yet the offense was better when they didn't run the football as yeah. much as they did. Uh, towards, the, you know, the last five, six games when you really had those injuries last year uh, in, in the, the backfield, it turned Keaton Slovis into a quarterback who was throwing 400 yards a game but it, this offense took a big step forward in doing that. They found a, they found something that that could work. They went super air raidy only because, seemingly only because, um, of the injuries to Marquis Step, Stephen Carr, Vimel Pei. They all went down at the same time. If even two of those guys are healthy, um, you're going to want to probably run the football more than they did last year. How does that change the offense? Does that change the the offense's ceiling? I don't know. Like in theory, you should be able to run the ball and pass the ball both beautifully, right? Like, well, are I- your, ideally, are your are your offensive linemen suited to running the ball as well? Because right. yeah. last year USC's offensive line uh, blocking was was pretty poor on in the run game, and also the the blocking schemes. You know, I, I, I can. Right. Remember a thousand different times that I was standing next to Shotgun Spratling from USCFootball.com on the sideline, and he'd call, they're going to run right right now. And boom, there goes USC running right. If, if people on the sideline recognize that, the defenders on the on the field certainly recognize that. So hopefully USC shakes that up a little bit too. Yeah, so I'm curious to see how that all comes together uh, for SC. Last question I got is, who does SC get in that crossover game? Uh, it really does affect, I think, the how we look at this season going forward, because if 
it is a team that is manageable. If it's Oregon State, if it is um, Washington State, I, I think that that's a completely different situation than if it's Oregon or Washington. Um, I think you'd rather play Stanford than Cal. I think you'd rather, uh, you know, get Washington than Oregon. But, like, either way, there's a pecking order there, and it's really going to be fascinating. Plus, you know, how how does that work with um, uh, everything else? Where do they put that game in the schedule? Where is that the first game? Is it going to be the last game? Like, I don't know. All this stuff I think is going to be fascinating to see how the the schedule uh, fares. Considering that's the that's the biggest question is we know every other team SC is going to play but that one game. Yeah, and that that one game is going to define so much of the season. Uh, if USC gets Oregon in that game, how will that impact USC's ability to make an argument for the for the playoff? Um, if if USC ends up with Oregon State, I think that would be a disaster. Actually, even though that is theoretically the the easiest team to play, Oregon State's a dangerous team that USC will get zero credit for beating. So there is a there is a a balance there that you sort of have to work out on what would be the best outcome. I'm going to make a quick prediction on this though. I think that USC and and UCLA will get Cal and Stanford, and that'll be that. I think that's probably going to be. The I don't case. know which one will be which, but I think that is how it's going to break down. I, I want to see what the rationale is for that game because I, I think it's one of four four things. Either you get one of those two options is going to be. The 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 Cal or Stanford game that you were already going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one could be the team that they added to the schedule, Washington State, right? Which we we saw added to the schedule when they went to a ten game schedule or, or a, yeah ten game when schedule. When they went to the ten game, yeah, uh, back a few months ago. Or is it going to be one of the teams that they were going to play elsewhere or something new? Like they literally could go a million different directions. It being Stanford or Cal makes the most sense. Um, but, but there's no reason that it, that it has to just be Stanford or Cal either. Like it could be literally anybody. It it definitely could be, but this is also the PAC 12 and I don't think we should expect them to do anything particularly, um, you know, Well, I, I've got opinions on that crossover game, which I'll save, <laughs> uh, when we're going to talk about the, uh, the playoff. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah. We're going to talk about that, uh, in a few minutes. Let's, let's get to it right now. We're going to go to the big questions from our listeners. Let's talk about the playoff first. Let's do that. Uh, we got a tweet from All Day Trojans. Will the Pac-12 have an opportunity for the playoff? Uh, this is Oof. one of those questions where we you talked about it uh, last week, that um, you thought the Pac-12 needed to come back maybe Halloween or the week before to truly have a say uh, and and be able to put together a resume that, that would put them on par with the Big Ten. Um, yes. At the same point, this is when I say we don't know what the what the 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 state of football is going to look like in December. There's been like thirty something games that have been canceled. I, I believe it's something like thirty percent of games have been canceled so far. I, I I don't think that that percentage is going to hold firm throughout the whole year, but like if it does. Then the teams playing a ten game schedule, maybe they only play seven, right? Like we don't know how many games these conferences are going to get through, especially the ones that maybe don't have the antigen tests that that aren't able to uh, avoid the 
swaths of players uh, having to sit because of the the uh, contact tracing and all this stuff. So I don't we don't we don't know what the landscape is going to be. Uh, we think right now that the Pac-12 will have played the fewest games. Will that be the case when we get there? We don't know. We, we we really don't know. And I think that when you look at how many games are being canceled left and right, I don't think we can just assume. So, and this is such a weird year that literally anything, anything is on the table. Literally anything is on the table. I mean, and that's the the hard part is everything that we can guess right now is potentially going to get thrown into the air within a couple of weeks. I mean, that was sort of my my perspective last week was definitely that you needed to be able to play seven or eight games. And if you couldn't play that many games, if you couldn't really get eight games in, you weren't going to get taken seriously. But at the same time, you know, Notre Dame just had to cancel a game. Uh, or, I mean, they're postponing games, I guess. But if they if the next month has an average of five games or so, canceled every weekend which is sort of what we've seen over the first couple of weeks then there is a possibility that we look at at the other champions of other conferences and they don't have a full 10 games on their slate they have you know eight or nine the problem still is that USC at most or the Pac-12 at most is going to have seven and if you're talking about a seven and oh Oregon or a seven and oh USC and pinning them against an eight and one or a seven and one uh, team from another conference, I, you're gonna run into some some trouble as far as how that's all gonna shake out. I know it's all gonna be subjective. It's hard to predict at all. But if 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 you are talking about only one or two games gets canceled for each of those teams, then you're still certainly at a at a distinct disadvantage. This is why I'm emphasizing the uh, the, the the game that is played that's across the the division because USC and Oregon need every opportunity they can to show off. And so it doesn't do them any good. Like it doesn't do Oregon any good if they play Colorado. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, this is where I have to push back because I emphatically disagree. I think that it's best for the conference. If that game is the easiest possible situation for SC and Oregon. Uh, see, I disagree, though. Because I, I think the, the Pac-12's best opportunity, and again, I first of all, I hate these conversations the, the Pac-12's because best, we don't know what the landscape is going to be. But the Pac-12's best opportunity is having an undefeated team. But yeah, the, and how do you get there? Right, you, you get there by no. SC and Oregon not meeting in the regular season. No, 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 I agree. I think USC and Oregon meeting in the regular season would be a problem, and I'd say this just because the best case scenario for the Pac-12 is two undefeated South and North teams yes. meeting in that divisional in, in that in that conference title game, but that doesn't mean that USC should want the weakest team in the in in the North or that Oregon should want the weakest team in the South. The best case for USC would would to be six and zero on the back of running the table in the in the South and then also having a win over Washington or something like that on sure. their schedule. A win over uh, a win over Oregon State won't do USC any good in the standings. It just it just won't, even though, like I said earlier, I think that's a crapshoot because Oregon State's actually a semi-decent up-and-coming team, and uh, you might get more credit for beating Washington State, but Washington State looks like they're an absolute wreck, or Stanford looks like they're an absolute wreck. So I think it will matter who USC gets. You don't want USC and Oregon to play each other, but you want USC and Oregon to play the next best team across the conferences, is, is my argument. 
Sure. I, 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 I get what you're saying. I think the inherent problem, though, is you don't have the non-conference games to truly, to truly know. So we can sit here and say that, you know, playing uh, Oregon State wouldn't be beneficial to SC, but if Oregon State goes three and four, but they were a team that was going to murder every Mountain West team that they played, and you know, like, well, but that's you know what I'm saying. What I mean? Oregon like, State's never going to get any credit. Like, no matter what, Oregon State could be five and two, and they still right. wouldn't get a lot of credit. But but, but if you look at what, where SC is, I, like, to to me, I think, and and this is the hottest take I've probably ever shared on this podcast. I am not saying that this is going to happen at all. Like, I would not bet on this or anything. Um, and, you know, I hate talking about the playoffs. Like, seriously, I, I think it's the worst part of college football uh, that, that everything has been truncated down to can you get in the playoffs or not. I, I think it's absolute garbage, and I hate how it's changed, shifted our 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 look on seasons. I, I, I hate that, that going to the Rose Bowl isn't special anymore because, well, it's not the playoff in two out of three years. or whatever. Like, I hate that. I really do. Um, having said that, the, I, I I love history, right? And I love streaks. And USC has this streak dating back to 1930 in which they've gone to a Rose Bowl in every president administration. For, for the sake of argument, there's no politics involved in this at all here. FYI. There's going to be an election, right? If there's a change in administration, uh, that means SC needs to go to the Rose Bowl this year to keep that streak alive. They need to keep that streak alive by going to the Rose Bowl this year. The dates back to 1930. We're talking 90 years. How does that happen? It happens only if SC is the number two team in the playoff because the, the Rose Bowl is a playoff game. SC is only going to ever go to that Rose Bowl if they are the number two team. If they are the number three seed, SC will get sent uh, to the Sugar Bowl because the, the committee is not going to put a number three seed in the Rose Bowl from, from SC and make it a virtual home game for SC against Ohio State. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. So SC only goes to that Rose Bowl if they're the number two seed. So here's the stupid hot take. I think it is more likely today, right now, that USC gets there, knowing what we know, that SC is going to play a seven-game schedule. I think it is pretty sizably more likely now than it would have been with the full season. Now, uh, still, we're talking about an extreme low po- possibility, yeah, all told. But it was going to be an extreme low possibility yes. for USC to make the playoff anyways. Right. We're talking like percentage points. But if it was going to happen, I think it's more likely to happen in this scenario, where you're only talking about seven games. Fewer chances for SC to, to screw this up, right? Fewer chances for SC to have one of those patented games where they just fall flat on their face. We know that, that, that SC... Under, under Clay Helton, fares well against the Pac-12 South. Well, the Pac-12 South is 84% of, the, yeah. of, of, of their, their schedule now, right? Like, that is a big deal. That fares well. If that sixth game is a team that's manageable, uh, maybe they go 6-0. and uh, Like, this is the team that we've talked about before that 
returns a hell of a lot of talent. Like there's talent on this team that that they could they could go six and zero. Like like that's not crazy to to say that when you think that they're going to be favored in every game, save for maybe a, a trip to Oregon. That that's where the expectations are for this team. And so you pair that with a landscape in which you don't know what's going to happen with the other conferences. And I think the Pac-12's best shot is for a team to be seven and zero. And they're way more likely to have a seven and zero team than they would have been to have a thirteen and zero team. We're talking fewer games. Mathematically, mm-hmm. it's easier yeah. to get to seven and zero than thirteen and zero. They're not playing uh, Alabama. Fewer chances to, to screw things up. I think it's way more likely that, that, that SC gets there now than they would have before. I still think it's like a 0.5 percent chance, but it's something. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Pac-12 because I think the Pac-12 actually does have a sh- a shot here. And anyone saying that they don't have a shot at the Pac-12 is doing one of two things. Either buying in the narrative that the Pac-12 sucks and just stopping full stop right there. And at that point I don't think that's intellectually honest. Well, or... I'm going to push back on you there because the narrative that the Pac-12 sucks is not something that just came out of nowhere. No, I get that. Like the Pac-12 is going to be the one that's but, left out because the Pac-12 into, is perceived poorly. Yes, but if you go into any situation and be like, well, the Pac-12 sucks, so they're definitely not going to get in the playoff. Well, no, but like I would say that the Pac-12 is going to get left out of the playoff. Even a 7-0 and Pac-12 team is going to get left out of the playoff. We I say that know. because and, the person... Well, but I don't know one way or another. I'm saying that's my perception. I think the Pac-12 will get left out because even a one-loss team in the SEC, the ACC, or the Big 12, will, or the Big 10... We'll probably still get in over USC or, or over a over an undefeated Pac-12 team that only played seven games. I genuinely I believe that. I think that the, the the perception of the Pac-12 is working against the Pac-12 here, and it doesn't help that USC and Oregon are teams that have lost guys to the NFL. Um, that yes. uh, that that are that are going to be diminished. The reality of the situation, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it's difficult for SC. No, I'm and I'm to saying that the, the way that the way that an SC team that that an SC. I'm not saying that they're going to. No, I'm saying that the way that an SC team gets to the playoff is by going seven and zero and by trashing everybody fifty to nothing, and I don't necessarily Oregon, think that that's the case. I, I don't. Th- I I think USC and USC and Oregon need the same. I mean, thing. style points are definitely going U- to matter for sure. USC 100%. and Oregon need the same thing. One. Yeah, seven and zero. No, one. They both need to be seven and zero. Two. They both need the other one to be undefeated when they play. Three. They Certainly need. Helps. They need the bottom of the Pac-12 to lay down and die, so that teams like Utah and Washington and uh, Cal and Arizona State can look better. By having more wins across the board, the Pac-12, the 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 top of the Pac-12 needs the bottom of the Pac-12 to suck this year. Sure. Because the worst thing in the world would be for the St- the Stanford's and the Oregon States and the Colorados and the Arizonas of the world to win a game or two. For sure. All I'm saying this is this is a weird ass year. I I think it, I think it's it's. Likely that the the Pac-12 has a, a six and out team at least, um, but at the same time, I also think it's this is a situation where I wouldn't be surprised if every team in the Pac-12 has two losses, just based on how well, that would crazy, be the most how crazy that the, would be the, the most the Pac-12 thing, been, right? The, the, by far, the most Pac-12 outcome is for Oregon but and I USC. I don't think it's just the Pac-12. I, like, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Big 12 played, sorry, the Big 10 played, and everyone had two losses either, like. This the the off season is going to throw a huge wrench into everything, right? And, but and, and so it makes both everything and nothing possible at the same time, right? Right. But like, I have way more faith in Oklahoma 
to just power through. No, I'm talking about the Big Ten. Ohio I, like, State I, to power through. No, I, um, I Alabama get, to power through. Clemson yes, to power I, through. I agree. But like, I, USC and, and Oregon I'm are just going to lose two you're, games You're for missing fun. my argument if you think that that's what this is about. Like, I, I, I agree with that. No, I, I know that it's a chaotic season, absolutely. But the chaotic season where the Pac-12, it, it, like, if everyone's going to be all messed up, then oh, the Pac-12 oh. will be the most of the messed up ones. That's what I'm saying. Right. All I'm saying is, if if you think that the Pac-12 has no shot because of the Pac-12, that's intellectually dishonest. No, they've got a and, shot. It's right. just a very, well, very can, minimal can I make shot. My point? Well, but you've made your point. Like, no, you think I haven't the Pac-12... got to number two. Okay. And, and number two, if you don't think that the other conferences uh, could could lose some games to get down to the Pac-12 le- level, either, I think you're. I think you're. you're I think you're, Being, you're you, know, you need too many games to be lost. I think the 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 I don't think so. I, the I, likelihood is that each team loses one game. I think you need what you're talking about is each team losing like three games. I don't, I don't necessarily think, think so either, though. But like, first of all, the Big Ten's playing eight games, right? Yeah. So, okay. but the Big Ten, the, but but the but, Big Ten. What's the difference between seven and eight games? Because the I, I Big Ten, seven and eight games, basically the same number. Because, well, a, the Big Ten is the Big Ten and not the Pac-12. That's that's a big problem. I, and B, the Big Ten has Ohio State. I, a, the yes, Big Ten but, has Ohio State. The Pac-12 doesn't have an Ohio State with a Ryan Day and a Justin right. Fields. Okay. The, the the other thing too is that this is why I hate these bullshit. The big ten discussions. The, it always, but Ohio State. But no, like, no, no, no. Oh, that, yes, that, no, obviously. that's not my point. My point is the Big Ten has antigen testing that, like the Pac-12, they are intending to make sure yes, that they play sure. all of their games. Agreed. So the Big Ten is going to play eight games if the Pac-12 is going to play seven games. So you're already at a disadvantage there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The Pac-12 is at a disadvantage. I'm not saying that they're not. I, I'm just like. Anyway, moving on. Never mind. I mean, it's just, I get what you're saying. You think I don't get what you're saying. I get what you're okay, saying. Then explain to me what I'm saying. You're saying that the Pac-12 is, it, it will have things happen because of the chaos of the season to, to make the gap that we perceive right now of the Pac-12 from the, from the playoff that it will shrink, that the, the, the playing field will even out by the time we get to December but it, 20th. But that's not really what I'm... I'm not saying that that's going to happen. No, I'm you're saying, saying it's, it's it's just as likely to happen I'm as... I'm saying that that's, A, that's possible, but B, B, I don't think it needs to be even. I don't think the, the, the SEC needs to lose three games for it to happen. If a team is 7-0 and 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 looks good with the eye test, and a team is 8-1 and and, like... Those teams are comparable. I don't think you automatically go with the eight and one team just because they've played two more games. No, I think you go with the eight and one team because it's probably Alabama. See, <laughs> this is the freaking. This is why I hate these stupid playoffs. No, because Nick Saban okay, will get the benefit of the on. doubt. Lincoln Riley will moving get the benefit on. of the doubt. Dabo Swinney will get the benefit of the doubt. You know this. Moving on. Uh, question from. Uh, talk about success. Uh, JNA say, says, uh, "Simple. What's your minimum requirement?" For this to be a successful season, uh, and USC EBI says, will the players be better prepared or less prepared than normal, physically or mentally? This all has to do with the burning question, or the big question is, what is successful this year, and how do you achieve success? Uh, I, the the minimum requirement for what this is to be a successful season is tough because we talked about it before that like the minimum requirement was always going well. Who, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the middle requirement for Clay Helton? It's to win the Pac-12. Yeah. Well, okay. So 
my minimum requirement doesn't really change because my minimum requirement is always win the Pac-12 South. So that is still the I, I the if we're talking minimum requirements, I'd still say that that's correct. What you need to do if you're USC, one hundred percent. At the same point, I think if there's a year in which that is even below minimum, it's this year. Like there's literally no possible explanation. Safe, I mean, health notwithstanding, right? If if you lose players and you're having to cancel games or you lose key players and that obviously changes everything, then take that off the board. But there is, there, there's no excuse for SC not to win the Pac-12 South this year. Yeah. There's no excuse. Literally none. Yeah. Uh, and so... And, the, and, the, and it's even more important, too, because USC's talent advantage that they've had for the right. last... 15 years it's going bye-bye they don't get yes. to rely on that much more anymore right. anymore so like yeah and, and this is still the year where you have a talent gap which take advantage is, which is why yeah you have to take advantage of that and and boost recruiting that way too if you win the pac-12 south and you lose a heartbreaker in the pac-12 championship game to a good oregon team so be it um so but but, 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 I but think if we're talking a, about for Clay Helton, I think the minimum requirement that 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 people will put on him absolutely is to win the conference because see that's where that's where the aim has to be right now. Well, see, and that's where so I guess my there's a difference to me between my minimum requirements for the season and what I would define as a successful season because my minimum requirement. Well, JNA says what's your minimum requirement for for this to be a successful season? Yeah, yeah. so I'm just going to explain it out. Minimum requirement win the Pac-12 South. In order for the season to be called a success, then I would say you have to win the Pac-12. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, I don't view success and failure as a line that you are either on one side or the other. Right. Like, I think there is a, a, a there is a failure of a season, which is you go, th- you know, three and you, you have a losing record. Uh, right. And then there is a, a meet expectations of winning the Pac-12 South. And then successful for me would be the exceed, not necessarily exceeds expectations, but but the 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 degree at which you then win the Pac-12, and that is the mark of success as opposed to just the mark of of uh, you know of being at the level that that you should be your minimum requirement. Does that mean, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that's sort of the way I see it. No, I I, I agree because. Like I wouldn't view winning the South as a success in, in no, necessarily. That's no. where I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I I don't think, and and this this is why I I don't like putting numbers on these things because I don't know if there is a number. Every se- season plays out differently. Um, if this team goes, uh, they're gonna play seven games, right? If they go, uh, five and two, um, and they don't win the South, then that's probably gonna be a Massive lost opportunity, and people are going to be calling for Clay Helton to, to, to get fired and whatnot. If this is a team that goes six and zero and loses to Oregon in overtime and fights valiantly, then yes, it will be a quote failure because they didn't win the the conference. But like this team could have taken ten steps forward and, and yeah. still and still like it, it's all dependent on how the season plays out, how but the other we- teams are too. So I don't like putting the the exact answer of what this is because it changes can we Half agree of it is i test can well yes i test this, definitely this, this team could go five and two and be worlds better than last year yes 
They could be five and two and be worlds worse than last year. Yeah. Uh, I guess my my big thing is I don't think USC, this USC team, should be losing a game that isn't to Oregon. Is that unfair? Um, well, I know circumstances I, I, I will it, be what they are, but I have no interest in making the excuse for USC's circumstances. No, like, I, I think it's unfair given that we don't, we haven't seen the teams on the field. There's, there's a chance Arizona State's the best team in the conference. Well, it, okay, like, so, we, we don't well, think they're going uh, to be. But well, what if okay, they are? So you know now what I, mean? I, I'm going to push back. What if, what if ASU pu- is the Oregon? You know what I mean? If, you but what, uh, and this is where I'm going to push back. If ASU is the best team in the conference, then USC screwed up. Sure, but ASU but, should not be the best team in the conference. No, but I'm saying, because like, if ASU is the best team in the conference, then USC should be the best team in the conference. No, I'm saying what? It, uh, no, what you're saying is what if ASU is that good? But yes. like, but like, whatever ASU is, USC should be better than. That's what I'm saying. No, I I I agree with you, but I, I'm saying you're, you're. It's still like these things are not mutually exclusive. Here. But but you can't like I can't uh, the, allow the, the, for the ASU I can't allow for USC losing to ASU because ASU turns out to be really good when USC why why if ASU is that good then why isn't USC also that good it would be that would be then my question I don't get this logic at all actually because like- I don't get what you don't get about this logic <laughs> Like what I say is the only team that I think is comparable to USC on a talent level is Oregon. Sure. Yes. So if anybody else is better than USC, it's because USC isn't getting enough out of their talent. I get that part. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Now I'm saying what if everything comes together for ASU and ASU is just ends up being the better team and they they then, they're, they're, they are <laughs> they have more talent than we thought they did no, they, they, no, no, you know no, what no, I mean no, no, you see no, what I'm saying no, no, no. no again again this goes back to at that point then you're telling me that ASU has a better coaching staff than USC well yeah and if that's, that's the case then USC plot. screwed up Sure, but that's a side plot. The way I the no, that's that is the a plot, Michael. The a plot is is no, USC getting no, the most out of their y- their talent. Yes, obviously. What I'm saying is, we sit here every year and we say, well, this is how things are because these are how these teams line up. I, I think of 2016, and we sat there before the season and we said November is going to be the hardest freaking month for SC. They got Oregon. Yeah. They got UCLA, they got Notre Dame, they got Washington, all in a four-game stretch. Right. And three of those teams were absolute hot garbage. Right, but that doesn't... Because we don't know what happens uh, before a season in which we have all the information, like 2016. Right. This is a season in which we have way less information. But uh, you are going... So you we are mo- think Oregon is, is should be good. No, you are going... We, you, are, you are moving in the wrong direction from okay. what I'm talking about. If we're talking about 2016 and Notre you Dame and UCLA... even started No, no, no. Started 2016, the, the Notre Dame and UCLA turn out to suck. That is irrelevant to the factor of how good is USC. I'm, like, I get that. The that's fact that that's Colorado, what I'm saying. The fact that things that Col- are on different the, scales. The, the, the fact that Colorado turned out to be pretty good that year doesn't change the fact that USC had... To, USC beat them. So, like, right. we wouldn't have excused USC for losing to Colorado. They beat Colorado as they should have, even though Colorado turned right. out to be way better than anyone thought they would be. So, like, the point is that regardless of how good any of those other teams are, USC should be better. Because if we're talking about a rising scale, 
USC should rise at the, to the same degree that anybody else around them rises, certainly in the Pac-12 South. So again, if ASU turns out to be better than USC, then that's on USC. Like, good on ASU for rising, but also... Right, I, and I view these as two completely different I issues. I view them as completely connected. I think there's a very good opportunity. There's a very good chance that Oregon falls off a cliff because they had they had more chance. All twelve teams fall off. Well, yes, we don't know. But the way I'm going to judge USC is if everyone else fell off the cliff, USC better be the last one to fall off the cliff. Sure, but to me, those are there's just I I look at it this way: How is SC isolated themselves? Like I, I look at SC as as a team, one team, and I judge them. How are they compared to last year? Are they better? Uh, and to go to to USC EBI's uh, question about will they be prepared or less prepared? We we don't know that, and and that answer is going to be what gives these these things uh, an answer here. So if SC is better in a vacuum, that is one part of the equation. Now, how does that compare to everything else? Uh, like, I, and, I, and and that's where every every season is. A wild curve because everything changes. Like we think we know, and we right. But for I'm a, not, a lot of cases we know a lot about. These I'm other not teams. saying what I know. I'm saying what should be, and that's the 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 degree to which the, that that's the the okay. the platform upon which I am judging things. So, for instance, I, USC EBI asks about the the will they be more or less prepared? Well, they may be less prepared, but they sure as hell shouldn't be. Sure, I can. I, I I plan to judge USC based on on the expectation that USC should be the most prepared team, okay, I, I, and the best prepared team because USC. Sh- if USC has any intention of being any good going forward, then they sure as hell better be because this coaching staff is going to get fired if they're not. Okay, I, I've got an analogy here. Okay, R- remember Joe Burrow? Remember that guy? Yeah. Remember, he used to be the quarterback of the team that historically has like had the worst quarterback play of any of the power teams. Yeah, LSU. Yeah, right. Um, he put together the greatest season in the history of college football. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Now remember how no one expected that to happen. Yeah. Okay. Remember that. Right, but uh, who gets credit for what Joe Burrow did? LSU does. LSU's coaching staff, yes, who put Joe him in Brady, a great yeah. position to succeed, right? So Joe Burrow coming out of nowhere is 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 beside right. the point. We're talking about LSU. We're talking about yes. LSU getting the most out of the talent that yes. was on their roster. Correct. We're talking about LSU. Yeah. We're not talking about how was is Joe Burrow going from uh slightly better than average quarterback to college football god is that an indictment on auburn's coaching staff no like those things are different situations well i would put out there if you put joe brady on auburn's staff then bo nix would have had a much better season i that's what i would say (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm just saying like there's there's this is a, if this Arizona is a three-dimensional State, world. If it's Ari- not all on one scale. The, if you, Arizona State... I feel like you're you're wanting to judge any everything uh, on just one graph. Like, yes. That's not how it works. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if Arizona State has a coaching staff that's capable of getting their team to be that good, that Arizona State is the one that's vying for the college football playoff, then 
my perspective is USC should go hire those people then. I I agree, but I'm what I'm okay, and I'm going to judge the staff point, based okay, on that. Last point, last point, and I know that people are turning this up. <laughs> last point. So, just just to confirm, you said that SC should that there's no excuse to lose to anyone but Oregon. You said this, correct? Uh, yeah, I I just, just yes or no? yes yes okay. yes. USC should not lose a game to anyone that is in Oregon. Okay. So then, if if ASU turns into last year's LSU, then that still applies? Yes. I think that's insane. Yes. If ASU if ASU turns into that's last year's LSU, insane. then 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 I will still look at USC and say no, you, you screwed you up. No, you then reassess the the situation. No, I'm not going to reassess. I'm not going to give USC a pass for not winning the Pac-12 South I'm just because ASU got good bet faster no, than I'm USC not did. That they should they should get a pass. No, I'm but that's t- all t- I'm saying. I'm saying how am I going to judge USC's success if they let ASU pass them? I, then that's on USC. Yes, but at the same point, like. We're talk- Michael, like- AS- uh, USC is a Ferrari. and Where's Ferrari in the standings? That's what I'm saying. If USC is the Ferrari, then I'm going to judge the Ferrari for not being up there with the Red Bull and the Mercedes. Okay. <laughs> if, if, the, if, the, if, Ferrari lets, if Ferrari lets a racing point pass them, then that's on Ferrari. I, I, I it doesn't did, mean that Racing Point is like this the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. It means that Ferrari screwed up. All I'm saying is both things can be true here. <laughs> like like this is this is a complex situation. It's not just it's not black and white. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh next question here as we get back to the big questions from our listeners. Uh bunch of questions about players opting in. Andrew says now that the fall is back on, will players who opted out opt them back in? Uh, David Orange County says, what are the pl- chances any player flips back and comes back um, after opting out? Uh, and is the NCAA going to allow flexibility for players coming back to play after opting out? Uh, and he also says, if you had to choose one, would it be AVT or J2 Fele? Uh First things first, um, can players come back after opting out? Yes. And I believe, I, I think you can confirm this for me. Even the, the, isn't there flexibility on something about representation too? So I don't know that it's official, but it certainly sounds like the NCAA might be. Uh, like I guess that if you if you signed with an agent, you can do the thing that Turk did at ASU. Yeah, where he signed with an agent, went to the combine, and then didn't get drafted. Which was trash, by the which way. Which was trash, by <laughs> the way. Yes. Yes. So he applied for a waiver from the NCAA because COVID-19 basically prevented him from getting a fair shake at being drafted and they gave him back his eligibility. So theoretically, anyone who signed with any of the the players who opted out and then signed with an agent could then apply for a waiver and say that the season was canceled and thus I opted out. And so the thinking is, and I don't know if this has been followed through at all, but the thinking is that the NCAA will grant those waivers. So it's not official, but it seems likely. Yeah, and um, the other part is if yeah, if you have don't have any representation at all, then that's super then, easy. Then yeah, to, super easy to, to come just back. Yeah. come back uh, and, and revert course. Now talking about AVT and J Two Fellow, I think both of them that we've talked about before, both of these guys needed this year. 
Uh, This wasn't a Matt Barkley situation. This wasn't a Matt Leinart situation. No, both of them needed this year to solidify their stock, Um, especially for guys who could be, JT Valley less so, but more more so with with Elijah Vera Tucker, someone who could play different positions. And, you know, if you're going to move to left tackle, can you be a tackle at the next level? Well, I don't know. You kind of need to show that in college film. Um, So I think both of them have a very strong argument for coming back. Would I hold my breath? No, because I don't know where either of these guys lie with that decision. I wouldn't be shocked if either one of them came back. But but I, I think I think if you're SCN and you had to pick one of them, it's going to be AVT. Just because of what that offensive line looks like without him. Uh, Jay Tufale, as, as important as he is for that defensive line, at least you got Brandon Peely. At least you got Brandon. Like, like Jay Tufale is better than Brandon Peely, but Brandon Peely exists. You take away AVT, and then you have to throw somebody new to start at tackle for for SC, and that's something you don't want to happen. Yes, uh, just like you said, I feel much more confident in knowing what USC has in Brandon Peely than in any of USC's options to fill the left tackle spot, and uh, that's concerning. That's hugely concerning. Yep. Uh, last big question from our listeners. Slack message we got from L.A. Fred. Just saw a tweet from Brett McMurphy who says that uh, there are no win requirements to get postseason bowl invites this year. How about a winless Pac-12 or any Power 5 team going bowling, question mark? So this is one of those situations. As soon as this was tweeted, everyone started putting out tweets about how you're going to have two win Indiana playing against, you know, winless uh, Vanderbilt and, and whatnot, and and all that's this a game g- I'd watch. <laughs> like, I, I, it's not gonna happen. I, I get the humor in those things. That that's that's not how it's gonna, gonna work in this situation. The, there, there's no win requirements. One because some conferences are playing seven games and some are playing ten or eleven, and so how can you put the the win requirements at? Four. You you could have or, or like like how can you, you put could it have in, done win percentages. You 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 could have, um, but we don't know what how many games are going to get canceled and whatnot. That's the problem. But but and and of course the most important thing is this is still going to be sorted in terms of conference order anyways. So the the chances of there being a two and five Pac twelve team that gets a bowl bid, I I. I don't think it's necessarily possible, especially this year, because you're, you're not going to have, like... Well, it's like whoever is the fifth place team in the Pac-12 is going to go to, I don't know, you know the Titans better than I do. Though. I mean, then again, they get, what, like six or seven bowl bids? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, could it be that the seventh team is two and seven? Like, probably not, right? Yeah. Like, like, there might be there might I wouldn't be, be shocked if a three and four Pac twelve team goes to a bowl. Yeah. Just based on how things shake well, out. Well, what but, if my what if my desire happens and the bottom of the Pac twelve is utter trash and the top of the Pac twelve is undefeated. Right. And uh except to each other, and then yeah, maybe you end up with a number five or number six Pac twelve team with a but all of that is irrelevant. The bowl scheme is is a is a money grabbing scheme that they just want to televise games. They all they're doing with this is just trying to take as away as many limits as they possibly can to free up the bowls to make the money that they would like to make. It's really that simple. Yep. 
100%. Um, let's get into the rest of the mailbag, but shall we? Before we get to the mailbag, yep. one thing. Dream scenario, uh, USC goes 7-0 and but gets left out of the playoff because, you know, the rest of the teams end up going undefeated, whatever. Whatever the least painful version of that is, uh, USC gets picked because it can't go to the Rose Bowl. Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame? Yes. But the Rose Bowl streak ends. The Rose Bowl streak ends, but the pact the 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 the, the, the okay the Notre Dame scenario. USC rivalry. USC and Notre Dame meet in the Rose meet Bowl. in the Rose Bowl. There there you go. Now you're thinking USC Notre Dame meet in the there Rose Bowl, and uh, that's how you get USC in the playoff, and also uh, you get uh, the the rivalry Rose Bowl, restored. Yeah. I like it. All right, uh, let's take a quick break and come back and do the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Ray Troy, it's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I have a question for you guys about non-conference opponents come 2021. I know we talked a lot about these past few months about, you know, was USC, was USC going to be better off not playing Alabama, um, home to Notre Dame, and then also with New Mexico as well. But what about come 2021 when the schedule is home to San Jose State the first game of the season, at Notre Dame the first, during the middle of the season, and then ending the season at home to BYU? Uh, looking on it on paper, it seems like it's more manageable of a non-conference schedule than would be come 2020. The question is, is all about the factors of, first, does Ian Book come back for another year at Notre Dame? And then second, does Zach Wilson, the quarterback for BYU, come back? Um, because if both of them come back, um, it looks like it could be possibly a coin flip for USC playing Notre Dame um, in South Bend, but probably having at least a Keenan Silva's year three with USC. And then when it comes to playing BYU at home, at least um, USC would be playing them at the end of the season, not having to play them, you know, as the first road game of the season with like a first career start under Keenan Silva's belt. But at least it'll be at the end of the season. So I'm thinking at worst two and one record, but a great possibility that USC can easily go three and out. I want just wanted to know what your thoughts were, and hopefully with this new and upcoming seven game schedule that's coming up, that we start seeing some USC football coming up pretty soon, and you know at least hopefully we can go seven and zero and see some more optimism with the program and with the athletic department, et cetera. Fight out, um, be whoever we're going to be playing in the Pac-12. Thanks for the call, Cameron. Uh, always great to hear from you. And yeah, I think I think USC's out of conference schedule next year could be pretty interesting. Um, it, it really depends on where BYU goes from here. They're looking pretty good. They, they're looking like one of the winners of, of the 2020 season, but I don't know how that'll translate to 2021. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, USC should still be a class above them. And like you pointed out, this shouldn't be a scenario where USC has a True freshman quarterback making his first road start, uh, a junior Keaton Slovis, should give give USC the edge if, if he progresses the way that we think he's going to progress. Should give USC the edge in in at least two of those games. And the Notre Dame game, I don't know. I, Notre Dame and USC are always a little bit closer than they seem on paper uh, to me. So I don't know what Notre Dame's going to look like uh, next year. I know that that game, as always in this rivalry, will be something very interesting, but. If you're looking at USC taking their opportunities, Keaton Slovis in year three, the offensive line probably coming back more or less intact, uh, the the secondary looking stronger in theory if if 
things don't go terribly wrong this fall, the the defense getting another year under Todd Orlando and everything that, that USC has been working for as far as investing more in the program, you'd like to see those things pay off a little bit. So you want USC to at least be competitive there against Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think there's reasons to be optimistic. I mean, you look at what Keaton did last year um, in his first road, first uh, primetime road start at, at Notre Dame uh, yeah. and and what he could potentially do as a, a junior certainly would, would sound like it would be an, an improvement. But I, I don't know. I, I think the Notre Dame game is always going to be hard. I think getting BYU at home certainly changes the dynamics there. The It being at the end of the year is going to be fascinating because, man, we, we haven't seen SC close the season at the Coliseum with a non-conference game that was not Notre Dame since 1999. So yeah. it's been a long time. Who was that opponent? You know who it was? You will tell me. Louisiana Tech. There you go. Yeah. Uh, SC beat Tim Rattay. Yeah. Nice. John Fox finishes the game and this then proposes to his, his girlfriend. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Do we think Keaton's going to propose to his girlfriend as he finishes his... I don't know. Maybe. maybe, yeah. maybe you never know. But, uh, yeah, I I, I think you you got to be optimistic, I, I think, for SC in that situation. Uh, obviously, the San Jose State game's at home. The BYU game's at home. You should win both of those games. Um, keep it close. Uh, if not, win the Notre Dame game with the junior quarterback. You take it. Yeah. But it's so far out in, in front at this point that I... I, I yeah, I, I don't even know where any of these teams are going to be at that right. point. So much... And that's the thing, the eligibility stuff. Who knows? Who knows will even be... Like, you could end up with everybody sticking around. Yep, 100%. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Curtis in Moreno Valley. I say we rotate all the running backs, one per series, all four four of them. We can't leave the fastest running back in the nation on the bench. Uh, this, this is the big conundrum I have with USC and the running attack. I love Vimalapai. You guys know he's my guy. I think Stephen Carr has this last chance to really make some waves in college football, and if he lives up to what we've seen him do at times in sparky moments, Stephen Carr could be really good. But I also would never want to have Marquis Stepp sitting on the bench. So, like, when I'm looking at those three guys, I have a hard enough time differentiating from them. And then you bring up Keenan Kristen, who we've seen be the the track star that he is. So right. in, a, in an offense that is pass-heavy, to have four running backs that have the merit that all of those four have in order to warrant time on the field. I don't know how to juggle that group unless the inevitable injuries take the decision-making process away. Yeah. Someone's always going to be banged up. Those are, those are running backs that always happens. Um, but besides that, yeah, I think you want to get them all four involved. Um, I think Curtis has a nice ideal of getting them all involved. Um, in each series, but I don't know how realistic that is. I think it's going to be interesting to see what you do from a, um, hmm, formation standpoint. Because I think that what you do is you you go to more split backs. I think you go mm-hmm. and you put Stephen Carr out wide. You put Keenan Kristen out wide. 
Don't be afraid to find ways to get your playmakers on the field, mm-hmm. especially when you have to replace Michael Pittman. Well, right? and, and like, your wide receiver like, depth isn't great. Like you, you have, have a lot good, of good wide receivers, but not but a you lot. Don't, you don't have twelve wide. Receivers. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can afford to play around with your rotation, uh, your wide receiver rotation. So, I think it would be interesting to see how you get those guys in the mix. Also, speaking of, you don't have Michael Pittman. You have Rue McCoy. So it's the same thing we can talk about at receiver too, because as much as, yeah, you do have the ability to kind of shuffle guys around there and maybe uh, help out the running backs in that situation. Do you really want to take Tyler Vaughn's off the field? Mm, Do you want to take Amon Ra off the field? That's, that's do you want to take Drake London off the field? Mm, do you want to not have Brew McCoy on the field? Mm. Do you? That's also the tight end conversation. Like, yeah, like, do you want a tight end on the field or not? It, like, it, people it, want it, a tight end on the field, but they also don't want to sacrifice the players that they'd have to do to have a tight end on the field. It's interesting because this team is not as talented as the 2005 offense. Certainly not. But it has many of the same problems. But it has many of the same problems in the sense of you've got so many tough decisions because players are at similar levels where there's as much as people want to say that Marquis Step is the best running back, like he might be the best running back, but him being the best running back isn't by a landslide. You know what I mean? Like there's coin flips all over this roster on offense and that's there's good problems to have everywhere. And that's a great thing. Absolutely a great thing. It just sucks because you know that there's going to be a situation in which somebody's going to be underutilized, which is going to be inevitable in, in this offense right now. Yes. Given how uh, it stands. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Matt who says who replaces Tucker at guard. Um, I think that, Guard is going to be interesting because if Elijah Bear Tucker does not come back, um, I think you can expect one guard spot to be uh, Voorhees, potentially, even though you might get put him back at tackle. But Justin Dietrich is also there, too, as an option to move from center. And so is Liam Jimmins. Yep. So my best guess will be that Lemon Jean... Lemon Jean. Jeez. Leah, it's getting late, guys. Liam Jimmins will be the direct replacement for Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard, unless it's Andrew Voorhees. One or the other will be right or left. Um, I could imagine Justin Dietrich. Absolutely. Like, w- l- let's go with an ideal offensive line here. You've got, I'm going to guess. I- ideal Jaylen- offensive line? We're talking just sh- strictly best five? Uh, that That are currently on USC's roster. Oh, so no AVT. No AVT. <laughs> okay. So I go I go Jalen McKenzie at left tackle. Yep. Jason Rodriguez at right tackle. Okay. Um Justin Dietrich at left guard. Brett Nealon at center. And then Jimmins and Voorhees in rotation at right guard. As your fifth and sixth guys play in any spot. Yeah. Essentially. Right? Yeah. I don't hope I didn't miss anybody. No, I, I think that's probably right. I think that's, that's probably right with the ability of Jimmins or Voorhees could also play that right tackle spot. Too. Yeah, 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 you're sort of utility guys. Yeah, for sure. Moving on, let's go to a tweet from Eric. Over under 400 passing yards for King Keaton in game one. Um, who is USC playing yeah, in game who, one? Who is USC playing? I think that, that's, that's a big question. Because if they're playing Oregon, the, the, my, my answer if, changes a if, bit. If it's Utah, I'm going to say probably not. If it's... <laughs> 
If it is Is, Cal, I might not say yes either. But if it's Washington State, yeah, lock me down for for the four hundred. If it's Colorado, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna try and cop out here. I'm gonna say I will go with over in game one because I think there are more opponents that USC would face that I think Keaton could get four hundred passing yards against. Than not. I think here's here's my question for you. Um, by the way, I'm gonna take the over there too. But uh, but does Keaton Slovis throw for three thousand yards this season? Three thousand yards sounds absurd, right? It sounds in, in it sounds, seven games. But, but yeah, I guess you, eight games. You do the math. Seven games. It's four hundred and twenty-eight yards per game. But eight games with the bowl game is only three seventy-five. Three seventy-five is not. Insane. Well, and that's the thing is all he would need is one 500, I'm just, as I'm saying this ridiculous thing, all he would need is one one 500-yard game to, like, even that out a bit, too. He had more than 375 in five different games last year. Yeah. So, like, it, it, it's not insane for what he did last year. <laughs> the scary thing about Keaton is that, like, this year is going to put him severely behind the eight ball as far as chasing some records at USC. Totally un like out of his control. Right. But I think Sam Darnold threw for 3,100 his first year. Yeah. I feel bad for Tyler Vons because Tyler Vons needed 1,200 yards, I think. But then again, Tyler Vons has an extra year of eligibility, so he could come back and then this wouldn't, it won't be a record chasing issue. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to wrap this thing up with uh, a series of phone calls that we got. Um, all of these are related. I'm just going to... We got so many calls over the weekend from a bunch of our friends here at Rain of Troy Radio. Alicia, let's start here, shall we? Hello, Witherspoon here. I'm a 10-year-old boy living outside London, England, and I love me some USNC. And happy birthday to Alicia Del Toro. And now listen, you Michael Castillos. I know you're the boss. But you be be, be nice to her today, or we're going to take you out behind the school, and we're going to wring your ears, and we're going to kick your private. And that's not hyperbole. As always, my mom loves the show, I love the show, and my dad really, really likes Alicia. Cheerio! Jeremiah from the Lake of Snakes! MC, can you make sure you tell ADA that Big J wants to say HB to ADA? Can you handle that, MC? Okay. Now, ADA, I want you to have a great day, little lady. I don't know if you know this, but you're like the daughter I never had, or at least until I lost custody. Sorry if this is a belated one, but uh, I've had this damn call for about six months now, and I'm weaker than Damien Mama. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Much love, Alicia. Jeremiah from Snake Lake, the hell out of here. Hiya. This is Myron from Queens. (laughs) Wishing my favorite, favorite, favorite lady some birthday wishes. Yes, I am. Oh, what a year. But you know what? We're all right. We're all right. And I'm glad. Because the show must go on. Alicia Cupcake, you need to know 
how much joy you're bringing into this cockamamie world that we call, well, the world. <laughs> you're loved. You're appreciated. And happy birthday. All right, and one more call. Hey, Michael, Chris from Delaware, your absolute biggest fan. Hey, would you mind please passing along birthday wishes to uh, Alicia? Alicia, uh, I wish you nothing uh, but a great year of fun, boys, alcohol, and, you know, if that's not your thing, then uh, I know you love Notre Dame, conservatism, and not arguing. So hopefully you'll get all those things. Have a great, great day, and knock them dead, kid. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, thank you so much to that cast of characters. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciate that. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good birthday. It's been a good birthday week. Um, for the record, I'm 31. I'm, uh, I'm over the hill, uh, which is scary. But it's old as hell. Old as all hell. You yeah. would know. You would know, Mister Thirty One. Did you have to? Did you have I to? I mean, go I there? just, I just, I just throw it out there. But yeah, thank you. You <laughs> for the birthday wishes, and oh yeah, I got a good birthday present. Getting USC back theoretically, uh, at least hopefully in November. I, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic Alicia. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. I'm optimistic that we will see USC. I can't tell you what USC will look like, but I'm optimistic about it. There you go. There you go. Uh, thanks for everyone to uh, the, who called in, who dialed in, who texted in, all that stuff, tweeted us for uh, filling up our mailbag this week. Uh, so much more uh, is to be said about this team going forward, and October is going to be a fun month to do it. Head over to Patreon to get all of our bonus content, patreon.com slash Troy, where you can subscribe for all of it for as little as $5.55 per month. For $10, bucks, get to join the Rock Crew and our Slack channel and talk about USC football as much as you would like in our personal little chat room. Uh, Alicia, you got any uh, final word? The final word is fan, as in... I really would like the fan to be turned on in the studio. It is super it hot is and sweltering. Yeah, I we we need the fan on. I'm sweating. I, I, I am like I was I was I was wiping my eyes and I was like I was like I'm not crying because of birthday messages. Like I'm literally sweating tears down my face. Yeah. <laughs> we need air. So yeah, right. uh, this is just preparation for. A car cast. Uh, it is. It really is. Which we will be doing one way or the other. Probably not in a car. Probably from inside the studio. Sorry. Or, yeah. All right. Um, until then, we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.